0: All right. So if uh, I had mentioned this morning or uh, earlier this morning that we're going to be doing a larger section of scripture and we're going to be doing a uh, reading a John or sorry, John, Jeremiah 32 begins with a J Jeremiah 32. It's on page 618 of the church Bible. If you want to bookmark that my name is Reese. I am privileged to teach this morning. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, before we dive into Jeremiah 32, I would like to pray for our time in the Word. Uh, and you probably, if you've been here, you notice that we're taking a pause from our series in Ephesians. We are normally going through Ephesians, but we're taking a bit of a pause today uh, for this topic of faith. And you can see on your outline, what does faith look like is the title. So let me pray for us and we'll get started. God, thank you for this Time this morning that we can spend uh, an extended time looking at Jeremiah 32, looking at what faith looks like, looking at this object lesson that you worked in this guy's life and, and all the lessons that are going to come out of it. Um, there's many more that I will touch on this morning, but I do pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would give us uh, faith, that you would help us to see things as you see things. Uh, you're not worried about how things will end up, you know how they will go, you know that you are trustworthy, so I pray that uh, we would learn all of these things and more as we look at your word this morning. We pray this in your name, amen. So we are talking about faith this morning. Have you ever struggled in your faith? Probably. Have you ever wondered, God, what are you up to? Why are you doing this? Or have you ever thought or wondered, because I'm asking that previous question or because of what I did, God, do you still love me? Because my faith is like not very good right now. If you've wanted those things or have gone through those things or are going through those things, my hope this morning is that this message will encourage you and help you to grow. As I had mentioned, we're going to look at Jeremiah and his life, and this is an instance uh, where God used his own life as an object lesson for himself and for all the people and for us today. So I do need to give a bit of a background here. So on your outline, it does, there's a little section for background. This is what that is for. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was primarily sent to teach the people and warn them that they had turned away from God and that this was really bad for them because God wanted them to be his own people. He was preaching around 620 to 630 BC, and he's been doing this most of his life, telling them and warning them, God, you turned away from your sin Or else, God is bringing a foreign nation to wipe us out, to get our attention. And so, Jeremiah 32 is is sort of at the the end of that 40-year period of where he was preaching this, and uh, what he had, what God had promised was coming true. The people had turned their backs against, uh, to God, and the Babylonian army, which was a foreign nation, was coming in to attack them and take them over the book of Jeremiah is not in chronological order. So uh, for a bit of context here, I want to read uh, chapter 37, verse 12. So just listen. It says, King Zedekiah gave orders and they committed Jeremiah to the court guard. So basically they imprisoned him. And then it says, a loaf of bread was given him daily from the baker's street until the bread in the city was gone. So the context here is that the city is being attacked and besieged by this foreign army that got the walls of the city, everybody's inside, and the food is running out. So with that in mind, let's read the first half of chapter 32, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, the king of Judah, had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord? Behold, I'm giving the city into the hand of the king of the Babylon, king of Babylon, and he shall cap- capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, said, sure, Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin." For the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Masaiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting there in the court of the guard. I charged Baruch in their presence saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed and put them in an earthenware vessel that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Again, a little bit of background here. So there is an army besieging the main city of Jerusalem and Jeremiah is in trouble because he's telling the king what God told him to do, which was don't fight back, surrender. He's giving the bad news to the king. Because God's people have not followed God. And he said that he would bring this punishment, this discipline upon them. And so uh, the king didn't like that message. He didn't like to be told to surrender and that it was God's will. So he puts Jeremiah in prison or imprisons him in the court of the guard. And then while he's there, God's word comes to him and says, Hey, your cousin's going to come to you and tell you, you got to buy this land. And then you should do it. And so the cousin comes, and it wasn't just something that made up in his head. The cousin comes and actually says the very same thing, and then in verse eight he says, "Then I knew it was the word of the Lord because it had actually come true." And so he does this whole transaction, verses 12, um, or nine to, to uh, 12. And then he tells his assistant Baruch, to hide the, uh, preserve the deed. For a really long time because things are going to be different in the future. And God told him that the houses, fields, vineyards, again, will be purchased in the land. Now, why is that important to realize? It's because you have to think of the context. They're in a besieged city. The food is almost out. And what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to go, you know, you know like a property brothers, but go buy some land in the middle of this situation. So it seems a little bit strange. His cousin comes to him and uh, due to some obligations he, and God telling him to do it, he has to buy this property that he can't even look at and there's really no prospect that he'll ever be able to use it. And whatever money has left, you would think that he would want to keep that money to buy food because it's running out. But he goes ahead and does it, and maybe we would applaud him for his faith at this point. Certainly, he, his, he obeys God. Um, for me, if it were me, though, I'd be like, my cousin came to me, i am like, no way am I going to do that. That is silly. That's crazy. Why would I buy your land during, can't you see what's going on right now? I wouldn't do that. But Jeremiah does, because he is acting in faith. Well, let's read the second half here and see what he says about this whole situation and then what God says about what Jeremiah says. Verse 16. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord saying, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands thousands. But you repay the guilt of fathers to the children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as to this day." You brought your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with strong hand and outstretched arm, and with great terror, and you gave them this land which you you swore to their fathers to give to them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of sword, famine, and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you have spoken has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans." The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and this is God's answer or his response. He says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come up and set the city on fire and burn it, the houses on whose roofs Offerings have been made to Baal and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. The city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger. Their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets and the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do such abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, famine, and pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drive I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place. I will make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people. I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make them, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them, fields, "'shall be bought in this land of which you are saying "'it is a desolation without man or beast. "'It is given to, to the hand of the Chaldeans. "'Fields shall be bought for money "'and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed "'in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem "'and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, "'in the cities of the Sheppelah, and in the cities of Negeb. "'for I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord.'" If you look on your outline, there is four aspects of what faith looks like that we're going to walk through here as we go over this story. And the first is that faith looks like a struggle. uh, Jeremiah was told to buy this land, and he knew it ahead of time. Cousin's going to come, so the cousin comes. And he, he does it. And in verses 16 to 25, he is praying or or, or recounting to God his perspective on all of this the part I just read. And I don't know if you noticed, but in verse 25, up to that point, he's saying a lot of right things, a lot of good things, a lot of truthful things. And in verse 25, it's, yet yeah, you ask me to do this crazy thing. That's my interpretation. Verse 17, you can see a bit of his struggle. He says that nothing is too hard for you, God. So in his mind, he's got it right. Nothing is impossible for God. Therefore, you think it would be easy for him, right? Well, no. He says, he knows that's true, but he's like, look at the siege ramps or the the mounds. They they build up these mounds against the city wall so they could breach into the city. He's like, look what's happening over here. I know you can do anything, but what's going on over here? And I have to buy this land. So there's a, there's a disconnect between what he knows to be true and how he's feeling. And he's tempted to, to think that God not, may be good or may not be going, uh, uh, fulfilling his promises that he can do anything. So he's struggling. Perhaps... Jeremiah, and I feel like this reasonable, even though it doesn't say exactly how he's feeling here, but he has gone through similar situations to Jeremiah 32 in the book of Jeremiah. And you've got to wonder if he is going through this struggle and asking God, why, why are you doing this? Why are you making me buy this land Why did I do the right thing and now I'm imprisoned for it? Why did you make me spend 17 shekels of money, of silver, to buy this land that's, for all intents and purposes, worthless to me? He is struggling, even though he knows what's true about God. Now, how... Does this apply to us? Now, you might be tempted to think when you struggle in your faith, that there is a major problem. Hebrews 11.1 1 has a great definition of what faith is. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So there's those words, sure and certain. That's a great definition of the word faith. But you might feel like, I don't feel so certain and I don't feel so Sure. So does that mean I don't have faith? Maybe you've asking yourself, why is faith so hard? And God, why are you doing the things that you're doing? I know I have been uh, struggling in recent times of wondering why is why do I see other people uh, turn away from God when they've they've followed Him their whole lives? Why are they doing that? Why are you allowing that? Or why are you allowing difficult things in people's lives? It doesn't look like they deserve that. Why are they going through these hard things? Can we struggle and have faith? Can we ask these questions and have faith? Well, it may be tempting to think that there's something wrong with you, but let me encourage you from Jeremiah that having faith is a struggle. And and facing these questions does not mean that you don't have faith, because faith is a struggle. And to give you an encouragement that faith and struggling with faith does not disqualify you, I'm going to give you two examples other than Jeremiah. One is Jesus himself. When Jesus is on the cross, he's on the cross, he dies for the sin of humanity. What are some of his last words? Psalm 22:1, 1. He quotes Psalm 22, 1, where it says, My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? There's that why question. In 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul, who's training up his young protege, Timothy, he encourages him with the words, Fight the good fight of faith. couple of observations there. He calls it a fight. Maybe we could call it a boxing match or a wrestling match. When God's people was named Israel, which means he wrestles with God. So there's a wrestling going on. He calls it good. This is a good fight. It's not a bad fight. But it is a fight. Or a struggle. And so having faith is, is, is like this wrestling match. And if you're having that wrestling match, that does not necessarily disqualify you or, or say that you don't have faith. Because God wants us to strive and persevere and struggle through this faith. And actually, if you don't have that, that's a warning sign. And you probably don't even realize it or notice it. Because if you're not struggling in your faith, if you're not wrestling through it to believe it, to believe in God and His promises, then that may be a major problem and it may, you may be in the same type of situation that ancient Israel was in in this story and God will have to bring something into your life to really get your attention. If he does that, consider it a mercy because it is to your benefit to follow him. And so faith can be a struggle. Secondly, faith can look like remembering God's promises. Now, Jeremiah here, at the end of his complaint, if you will, or his prayer, you know he says, yet, God, you have me by this land, even though it's basically worthless. And in God's response to him, he, uh, he mentions a number of things. And, and one of the things that he doesn't do that I really appreciate, it isn't blast Jeremiah. Like, what are you doing, Jeremiah? I told you this. You don't see that at all. He's very gentle. He also doesn't magically change Jeremiah's heart. Like just, you know, all complaints go away now. What does he do? He reminds Jeremiah who he is. Verse 27. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? What is the answer? No. Jeremiah knows that. So this is how God starts. And then he, he recounts, uh, some of the reasons why he's bringing this destruction. I mean, people were even, uh, sacrificing sons and daughters to this, this fake god named Molech in the, uh, in this valley of Sun Hinnom, which is actually interesting how we get the word hell or the picture of hell is from this. The people sacrificing their children in this valley, um, that was also the trash heap. Anyway, God goes on to focus on the promises that he is going to bring after this season is over. And he's helping Jeremiah to see that this is what he needs to focus on. There's like 12 or 13 times in here that he has the word, I will, from verse 36 to the end. I will do these things. I will make you dwell in safety. I will make the people um I'll have an everlasting covenant with them. I will love them. I will care for them. So all of these things that he's going to do, he's reminding Jeremiah of his promises that he needs to hold on to. So this is how he's equipping Jeremiah in struggle. Remember what, who God is and what he promises to do. And again, we are similar to Jeremiah, struggling in our faith What do we need to do? The same things, to hold on to God's promises and to remember what he says. God does not say to Jeremiah, just trust me. Not that there's something wrong with that, but he does not say that. He is very specific about what he will do and we need to do the same. We need to hold on to the specific promises of God. And I want to encourage you this morning to consider what promises, what specific promises are you holding on to? One that is one of my favorites, I'll share two, but one that is one of my favorites is from Jesus in John 6, 37. Jesus says this, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Oh man, I'm so thankful he says never. Because I want to come to him and I know that I can hold on to that promise that he will never drive me away. And I need to know that and bank on that promise, especially when I'm feeling like he will drive me away because of what I thought, what I did, what I'm believing, and so forth. And I have to hold on to that promise in the middle of that struggle. Okay, God, you you said it, Jesus. I will never drive you away. So I'm coming to you. And I'm banking on your promise. Another promise is Jesus says to his disciples and by extension all of his believers in Matthew 28. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if you believe in Jesus and you're following him, claim these promises. I'm with you always. Jesus is with you. Again, what are the promises you are holding on to? Can you think of specific ones that are mentioned in the Bible that you can hold on to? Today, we are having a church picnic and we'll have some fellowship time before that, but and after over there, I want to encourage you to, uh, to put this into practice and ask one another in conversation, you know, what's a promise that you really like to hold on to in the Bible? What, what's something that you turn to when you're struggling in your faith or a question like that? ask one another and remind each other of God's promises. Jeremiah was told all of these things that God will do. And he's communicating to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I will do these things. I am good on making good on my promises. So you can bank on me. Remember God's promises. So what's the third thing of what faith looks like? So it looks like a struggle in the midst of the struggle, holding on to God's promises. And the third thing is obeying despite fear and discomfort. If obeying God was easy or having faith was easy, uh, it wouldn't be a struggle uh, where you wouldn't have to worry about things or consider all these things. Like if, if I'm going to do a little jump right here, Like, I did not worry that I might accidentally launch myself into outer space because I don't have to believe in gravity. It's just kind of there. But Jeremiah, when when he has to go through this, he obeys God and he faces fear and discomfort and it's right in front of him. So that loss of money, the potential loss of reputation and so forth are right there. In verse uh, 12, in verse let's see verse 12 here it says he gave the deed of purchase to a baruch and it says in the presence of all the judeans who were sitting there and so there was official witnesses and there was all the other people watching watching this thing go down watching this crazy thing like why are you buying land right now that doesn't make any sense and of course, that's why God wants this story to be in here is that people are witnessing this object lesson that he's trying to teach. But Jeremiah, that doesn't make it any easier. He still has to, uh, you know, be the one who's putting out the money in front of everybody else to see, you know, this quote unquote crazy thing that he's doing. He's stepping into his fear and discomfort and he's obeying God. And as far as the story goes, we don't see any hint of his sort of perspective on it till the end in verse 25. Um, no, no, yeah, verse 25. <clears throat> so he pulls out his money and he does the thing that he needs to do. Now, of course, God knows he told him to do all this. He, he was the one that set it up. And again, in verse 27, he says to Jeremiah, is there anything too hard for me? Answer is No. But God doesn't remove the discomfort and awkwardness of the situation that he's calling Jeremiah to go into. He allows it. But he's in control. And that's what Jeremiah has to hold on to. And so that is the truth that enables him. He's holding on to God's promises and that he obeys in the midst of the discomfort and the fear. So a question for you. Right now, this morning, what is God calling you to do? How does he want you to obey? Is fear of what other people think of you the barrier? Is the fear of loss, you know, possessions, reputation, or something else, is that the barrier? Or is potential discomfort the barrier. I know that's for me, right? I'm afraid it might be discomforting, so I won't do it. Is that the barrier? For me, one other one is this noble label I put on the front of things where I say, oh, well, I I know I need to do it and I see the opportunity, but it's not the best opportunity to do it right now. So I'll wait. I'll wait for a better opportunity to serve you, God, because I know what you really want. You want me to do that thing, but this will be better if I do over here. And what ends up happening is I don't do it, and I realize, why am I doing it? Why didn't I just do it when I was supposed to? What is God calling you to do now? Maybe it's being honest about your faith with someone else or where you're at. Maybe it's putting yourself out there to ask forgiveness from from someone else. And to humbly put yourself out there. Or maybe it's this morning that you're facing the most important decision of your life. And that is, will you take your current life or your old life, whatever life you think of as your life, and trade that for what Jesus offers? Would you decide that? Would you do that? It will cost you everything and nothing at the same time because your life is worthless to gain the life that Jesus gives. I remember the first time, 20-some years ago, that I said, yes, I am going to stake my life on Jesus. And I prayed with a friend and I was like, okay, I'm going all in now. And I remember afterwards praying like, Wow. Like I get forgiveness of sin. I get new life. I get life with Jesus. And that was so wonderful. So amazing. I couldn't believe it. I was, I I don't know what I was like back then, but I bet people were like, what's wrong with this guy? It's easy to forget about that. And so maybe today is day one for you or day a thousand. I don't know, but we've always got to go back to this, this good news that Jesus uh, gave his life for us. And that is what's going to propel us through so that we can obey. He was the one that went through ultimate fear and discomfort, you know, all these things that may be barriers to us. He went to the cross and I already quoted Psalm 22, one to you when he was on the cross. So trade your old life for the life that Jesus offers. And remember, if that has happened to you, uh, to constantly remember that trade that you got because of Jesus. And so faith looks like the the Nike saying, just do it. right? So, so you know what you need to do. You, you read God's word. He tells you, and, and there's fear, and there's discomfort. Jesus died for you. So you, you step out in faith. And you do the thing. Jeremiah pulled out his wallet, bought the field. Faith does not mean everything feels great, but it means you do obey. And then finally, our fourth thing this morning, the aspect of faith. What does faith look like? And it is remembering whose name is on the deed. Again, Jeremiah bought the field, what did he get? He couldn't even go to see it, so he couldn't even go over there and like plant any plants or you know, harvest anything. He got a piece of paper. He got two pieces of paper. One was like the one that that was going to be kept uh, for a long period of time, and the other one was like his own, you know, personal copy. And so, um, he got this piece of paper in exchange for his money and maybe some mockery. But this piece of paper had some very important information on it very important. Such so that he he tells his assistant Baruch, verse 13, hey, put this thing in the best container that we could possibly get. So it's going to last a really long time because this is so important. And deeds to properties are very important. Here's a copy of our deed at our house. You guys cannot read it because it's probably too far away unless you have eagle eyes. It's got a, a very important part of information on here. Obviously it says deed, it has the house number and everything and the property. But this part I have highlighted in yellow is what? It's my name and my wife's name. We own this. This proves it. Our names are on there. And what's interesting, uh, uh, on page two of the deed, I didn't, I actually didn't really, I don't read this thing normally, but I pulled it out. And the last sentence here says this, it says, and the said grantors will specifically, and this is all capital letters because you know it's important, warrant and forever defend the property hereby conveyed. Forever defend it. So, good job government, okay? That's the government saying that. They will defend it. So if there's ever any question, who owns that land over there? They pull this out. There's a copy that I have, and there's a copy at the courthouse. So if I lose mine, it doesn't matter. They still, the official one's at the courthouse. And so for Jeremiah, there is no question. Who owns this land? When Jeremiah has doubts, he looks at the deed. What does he see? Jeremiah, that's me. He sees his name on there. So he hands it over to Baruch to be preserved. Jeremiah again per, uh, perseveres through discomfort. Takes his a little bit of savings that he has. He has a lot of questions. He's still struggling. Again, he does it. And the final promise that God gives uh, is his hope in this whole process, the ultimate hope. Verse 44, because God says that that fields and 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 deeds and things will. Uh, the vineyards will be sealed and, and, or I'm sorry, will be bought, indeed signed and sealed and witnesses, witnessed again. And then last sentence he says, for I will restore their fortunes. So these, these land that looks now like it's, like it's worthless and, and not even worth talking about, let alone putting money down on will be valuable. It's not valuable now, but it will be. And you guys know if you if you buy stocks, right? You buy low and you sell high. Now is the time to buy, not the time to sell. And God is reminding him he is getting a good deal, even though he may not feel it. This is valuable property in God's eyes and in God's timing. So this purchase has to propel Jeremiah to a future time and a future reality. Because right now, it doesn't look very valuable. And just like Jeremiah, the same is true for us and our faith. That we we have got to get our name on the deed, but it propels us to a future reality. We look at our reality now of our life of faith in Christ, and we it's certainly valuable. It's the most valuable thing we have. But by comparison, it's really not that valuable. And we look ahead to a future time, a future of redemption and God's riches and God's family, heaven. Where it is time to sell, it's time to cash in. We do not have hope in our current reality, but all hope in future reality. And for Jeremiah and for us today, this points us to Jesus. Jesus is our means and our hope. In Matthew 13, he says something very curious about buying a field. Okay, we're on the buying field themes. He says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes out and sells all that he has to buy the field. Now his friend, uh, so that's what Jesus says. Now people looking at this guy might be like, why is he selling everything that he has to buy that guy's field? That doesn't make any sense. But it does make sense because the guy knows how valuable it is. And all the things that he has are not worth comparing to the things that he could get if he owns that field. Because when he owns the field and his name is on the deed, guess what? He gets the treasure too. He knows that it's worth it. He wants his name on that deed, not the other guy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 and 22, it says this, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts, As a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And so Paul is telling the church in Corinth that, okay, so this is our deed and it's, you know, backed up forever by the government, Center County or whoever. But the deed we're talking about is backed up by Jesus himself. It will never go away. And if you have faith in Him, if you put your life and you're staking your life on Jesus and your name is on that deed, it is secure. It will not perish or fade away. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. It says that in Hebrews 12. He is the holder of the deed with our name on it. That will not change. He's not selling it to somebody else. That is your deed to hold on to and jeremiah's deed for that land to hold on to so if you are following jesus and your life is staked on him and you have this and your name's there and it's all solid and everything does that mean you does that mean you don't struggle no it is still a struggle his own disciples Jesus' own disciples struggled and they were with jesus and witnessed miracles and so my encouragement for you is this is this thing here, that faith, what does it look like? It is remembering whose name is on the deed. So you're struggling. You're struggling to believe God promises. You're stepping out in obedience. But what else do you still need? You still need to pull this out and look at it and say, I cannot believe my name is on there. Allow that to blow you away because it should. Jesus will come for you. Because your name is on the deed. I had mentioned that the disciples were with Jesus and they, they said basically to Jesus, hey wait a minute, is this worth all of this, you know, to give all, all of our lives to follow you? You know what he said to them? Here's what he said. I tell you the truth. This is Matthew 19. At the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. In other words, Jesus is saying, guys, you did not make a mistake by giving up all of what you had to follow me. Or, or in Jeremiah's language, to buy the field and have your name written on these deeds. It was not a mistake. It was totally worth it. And so these are four aspects of what our faith looks like it looks like a struggle it looks like remembering god's promises it it looks like in the midst of the struggle and holding on to the promises we still step out and obey and constantly remember what jesus has done for us and and what paul said there that his spirit secures that position of forgiveness of all of our sins we look at the deeds see our name is on there and know that that cannot change And so we follow Jesus with everything we have. This is our, these are some of the things and aspects of what faith looks like. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, for Jeremiah's example, how he steps out in faith and even in the midst of struggling, you remind him that you're in control. Nothing's too difficult for you. You're doing all of these things and promising all these things, this future reality that it is to come. Help us to hold on to your promises. Help us to hold on to Jesus, whom all of these promises point to. And we here today from from, uh, the the time after Jesus has come have the privilege to see what he has done, how he struggled through faith and obeyed in the midst of, of, of fear, discomfort, ultimate discomfort, abandoning by his own father and taking on the sin that he did not deserve, the greatest injustice the world has ever seen or will see, so that we could have our names written in the book of life. God, I pray for each one of us to to, to know you and follow you with all of our hearts and never to forget what Jesus has done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.